And a very good morning to you once again. It's great to be able to open the word of life and to share that with you on this fine Sunday, Lord's Day morning once again. Today we're going to begin a walk through the Bible with some of the more well-known and some lesser-known Bible stories. And again, my intention is not to do an exhaustive study of each story, but rather to learn some lessons from each story, much like we did with the minor prophets over the past uh, 12 weeks. And the best place, perhaps, to start is in the very beginning with the book of Genesis. Now, one of the greatest church reformers, Martin Luther, once said, Genesis is the womb of Christian faith and all its doctrines. Genesis is the womb of the Christian faith and all its doctrines. Genesis, the name means beginning or origin, and it tells us about the origin of the universe, of mankind, of civilization. It also tells us about the origin of sin and God's redemption and of God's covenant with his chosen people. Through the study of the book of Genesis, we can in fact understand the very foundation of our lives and even understand where the crisis of our modern culture began. No other book of the Bible has been attacked more often or as severely as Genesis because if those who hate God could disprove any part of it, the entire Bible becomes suspect. You see, if you can't believe in the beginning God created, then how do we believe the wages of sin is death or for God so loved the world? See, if we take out the first bit, then the rest of it also becomes discredited in a sense, and it begins to tumble. It's no wonder that Satan hates Genesis 1 so much, and how much effort I believe him and his demons have put in to actually discrediting the book. The first chapter of Genesis is one of the most God-centered chapters in the whole Bible. God is mentioned by name, 32 times in 31 verses. And if you add the personal pronouns, he's mentioned 43 times just in Genesis chapter 1. So if you haven't got it yet, creation is all about God. Now, there are many theories as to how the world began, but all of them can be boiled, I believe, down into just two classifications. One is creation. And the other is speculation, or evolution, if you like. And both require faith. But more, I believe, for, for the speculative one, for evolution, than for creation. Hebrews chapter 11 says it like this. Faith has been sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And that's Genesis 1-1 for me. In the beginning, God created. And I choose to believe that. Or you could speculate and follow any one of many explanations that evolution has to offer. And I believe that they require far more faith than just simply believing in the beginning God created. 
See, the theory of evolution can only ever be that, a theory in the absence of scientific proof. In fact, the second law of thermodynamics states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. So the scientists' own rules of engagement, if you like, go against what they want to teach. Evolution just can't work. If it's left on its own, it's going to get worse. It doesn't get better according to the laws of science. So I think evolution is speculation, and I'd rather just believe for myself that there is a God and that he's behind it all. I'm not going to debate the length of a day or the age of the earth, but God is the designer. There's no debate about that. And he is the creator. There's no debate about that. And definitely he is the sustainer. And the Bible tells us that Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, just by the very breath of his mouth, he keeps it all going. Now the problem is, and why people want to remove God in creation, the following becomes true. See, if there is no God, then there is no one to whom we must give an account. We are then answerable to no one but ourselves. We become God. So people don't want to give account to somebody higher than themselves. Secondly, people don't want God in this picture at all because when there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell. There's no reward and there's no punishment. And friends, I can't live with that. To me, that just sounds really terrible that somebody who does disgusting, awful, terrible things, who, who just deliberately rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and carries on with their own lives. I can't believe that after wrecking havoc upon other people's lives that it just carries on like they're not accountable to anybody. And then also, you see, if we take God out of this picture, there's no actual thing like right or wrong. There's no good or evil. And as I said, we become our own gods. Society decides. And isn't that just where we're at right now? Society determines. The Constitution says. Society says. And therefore it must be right. No, it's not. Let's not take God out of creation. Because if we take him out from the beginning, in the beginning God, if we take him out from there, then we've got nothing else to stand on. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says simply, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse 2 goes on to say, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, for some people, there's a gap here, and they call it the gap theory. They say somewhere between Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis 2, now the earth was formless and empty. They say there was a gap, and they reconcile, they try and join evolution with God and all the rest of it by placing it in their gap and saying, perhaps this is where the dinosaurs disappeared, or perhaps this is even where Satan fell from heaven. For me, Genesis 1 is just an opening statement for what is to come. And we find in verse 2, this ball covered in water. Uh, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the water. So day one happens now. And God said, listen to this carefully. So verse 3 starts. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Time, space, matter and light suddenly appeared after God spoke on that first day. You know what? The fact that there is light here without sun, and the sun was only created on day fourth, four. The day that, the, the reason, I mean, I beg your pardon, the, the fact that there is light here in day one says to me this authenticates creation. It doesn't provide confusion for me. See, God is that source of light. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So day one we have this glorious explosion of the presence of God, the very aura, the very very essence of Ah, this magnificent demonstration of who he is coming into the first day. Day number two, we see the atmosphere being created. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. See, he made an expanse around the earth. And, that, and this separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. God called the expanse sky, the atmosphere, and the space beyond. And this atmosphere contains the air we need to breathe. And, of course, a whole lot of water above that Noah <laughs> found out was just waiting for a massive flood a couple years on. Day number three, and God said, let the water and the sky uh, the water and the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And so the scripture goes on. Dry land appearing, vegetation, fruit. God continues this work of making the earth a beautiful place for animals and humans to live. Land appearing. Do you know that there is enough water to cover three kilometers above the earth that's just contained in the seas right now? If the seas let go of the water, three kilometers above the earth at sea level would be covered with water. But here we have this glorious land that God has called forth to appear and the beauty of plants and flowers and fruit according to their kind. See, each was to produce according to their kind. In creation, we see organisms change, but a daisy never becomes a dinosaur. There is a movement within species, but, but definitely not uh, a between species. So within a species, you might see changes, but definitely not between a species. That's day three. 
Then day four. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And so the scripture goes on. Here we see the creation of the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, billions of them. Billions and billions, overaccountable, my children used to say when they were young. God made them all for our benefit. The sun to light up the day, the moon to light up the night. Signs to mark seasons, days and years, all perfectly positioned for life. See, if we were just a degree or two closer to the sun, we would all frazzle up. If we were a little bit further away, we would all freeze. God made it perfectly. Again, friends, this thing can't have happened by itself. It can't just simply have evolved. It can't be a result of just a big explosion and everything just happened and evolved. And I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. You need so much faith to believe in evolution. I just can't do it. It's easier for me to understand that God created everything. Day chapter 5. Exciting things happening. Fish and birds. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living moving thing with, with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. You see that over and over again, the writer of Genesis emphasizes. It's according to their kind. There's no interspecies uh, evolution here. God created it according to their kind. So the earth was now ready to support animal life. God had made water, soil, air, and plants, and fruits, and vegetables, and vegetation for food, and created the sun to give light and warmth. Just a simple command. And God created earth's very first inhabitants, the animals that live in the sea, and those that fly in the air, producing after their own kind. Day six. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds. And livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that move along the ground according to the kinds. And God saw it was good. And then he said... And in fact, he would have at this stage included all the dinosaurs. They were all created now. Everything that was breathing and living would have been alive. I believe with all my heart, including the dinosaurs. And then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock over all the creatures, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. There was a conversation that happened in the Trinity here. You see, the word for God is the word Elohim, which is God in plural. It speaks of more than one person. 
What a wonderful conversation must have, been, must have taken place when God decided amongst himself that he was going to create somebody in his own image, completely different from anything he had created up to this point, different to all the animals. And even today, even though many people behave like animals, we simply have to believe that we are different there is something of the nature of God in every single human being. Think about some of the differences between man and animals. And I know some of you animal lovers will probably want to shoot me down now, knowing how some people actually behave. But think about God being spirit, John 4, 24. And God tells us that the true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have something of that same Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Animals don't have that privilege. God is love, 1 John 4, 8 tells us. We have this incredible capacity to love as human beings. And you might say to me, but my dog loves me. Well, I've got two dogs and they worship me. But they don't love me. They are conditioned. I'm the one who gives them dried biltong, dried vorse and biltong and feeds them and pets them and plays with them. They're conditioned to like me. But they can't know the love that I can experience for another human being. And we can experience for one another and ultimately the love that we have for God. The animals don't have that. Bible also makes it very clear that God is good. He's holy and perfect. This means that he never does anything wrong. And you know what? He commands us to be holy and indeed perfect too. Unlike the animals, people have a conscience which tells us, reminds us of what is right and wrong. And even those who don't know God still have a conscience unless they've really worked hard to put it to sleep. Think about some of the other differences between humans and animals. Things like speech, things like writing and communicating the way that we do. What about choice, where we are able to make choices not based upon our conditioning, but based upon our moral code, our ethics, our, our worldview. We can make choices. Think about something as simple as fire. Animals will run away from a fire. We use fire to cook and to heat and do everything else. Sowing and reaping. What about the inventions, even sitting and watching me by, on your laptop or your cell phone or your TV or uh, Facebook or whatever it is that you're watching me or listening right now. I, you know, animals don't have that capacity. There are distinct differences for all you animal lovers between human beings. And God has made us like that in his image. He never made the animals in his image, but he made mankind in his image. And then we come finally to the last day, a day seven. And we find this in Genesis chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Chapter 2 verse 2 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so that on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, separate, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. 
Now, and the obvious question to ask here is, did God need rest? Well, obviously not. Psalm 121 verse 4 tells us God does not slumber or sleep. He doesn't need rest. The word my Bible translates rest could also mean cease. So God ceased rested from. He ceased from his creative work after six days. And if you want to argue about the six days, whether it was six days or six periods of time, the Hebrew word yom means a 24-hour period. So you can, you can do what you like with that. I choose to believe it was a 24-hour period. <laughs> so this is the pattern that God has set on the seventh day. Rest. Just stick to it. It's commandment number four. It tells us, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your maidservant or your manservant, nor your animals nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there have been a couple occasions <laughs> in recent history where people have tried to change this. For example, in France in 1793, the government decreed a three 10-day week. So they took the, the month and they said, we're going to now have 12 months of 10 days each, and I don't know what they were going to do with the extra ones, but then they would have three weeks in each month, and you would rest then on the 10th day. That was in 1793. In 1806, just a few years later, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte abolished that because uh, it wasn't working. People were exhausted. They could not go working nine days and then having one day off. The former Soviet Union introduced a five-day week. They went to the other extreme in 1929, and they ran that only for a year, and then changed it to a six-day week in 1931. But neither of those shorter weeks worked, uh, and they went back to a seven-day week in 1940. God has given us the rules. Just stick to them. If he says work for six days and rest one day, then you work for six days and rest for one day. And I know most people nowadays, they only work for five days, but if they're married, then they get given a lot of work to do on the sixth day. And then hopefully they still rest on the seventh day. Friends, that's those seven days of creation that I wanted to share with you as this first Bible story. But I'm going to leave you now just with four little lessons, and they'll go very quickly, that I learned for myself out of that first Book, first chapter of the book of Genesis. Lesson number one. In the beginning, God. Always was, always will be. And there's nothing you or any government or any politician or any vote or any constitution or any human institution can ever do about it. In the beginning, God. That settles it. Now, you can choose to believe that, and you can choose to get excited about that, or you can choose to reject it. It's your choice. God created you in his image. You are able to make choices. In the beginning, God. You know how that encourages me? Because in the beginning of my stress time, God. In the beginning of COVID-19, God. 
In the beginning of me having to get rid of 40 staff members, God. In the beginning of not knowing where this is going to happen or that's going to happen, God. In the beginning, God always was, always will be. That gives me a huge amount of courage today. Lesson number two for me out of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Not random selection. Not evolution. Not some creature oozing out of a slime pool. Not some magnificent bang that happened or anything else. But in the beginning, God created. Oh, that just brings such joy to my heart. Out of absolutely nothing, God created. Out of absolutely nothing, we get perfect function. Out of absolutely nothing, we've got incredible detail. Out of absolutely nothing, we've got this magnificent creativity. When last did you go outside and pick a flower? Or a blade of grass, if you can find one <laughs> in this drought. When last did you just go and pick something that God has made and studied it? Just looked at it. Looked at its beauty. Looked at its intricacy. Looked at its magnificent. Just sucked in, breathed in its glory that God created. And now you want to say, oh, how's God ever going to get me out of this situation? Man, lesson number two is God created out of nothing. He, he, he created, he created, and he created out of nothing. And you might be in a situation right now of nothing. Your electricity is switched off. Your deep freeze is finished. Your bank account is empty. And there is an opportunity of God's creation in a very real sense today to come into your life. Oh, friend, won't you believe with me? The same God who created in the beginning is the same God now who can perform the miracle that you need in this lockdown or whatever it is in order to see you get to that place where you're longing to be. And then lesson number three and finally, our, our chaos, that situation that we're in, is subject to his love. And maybe this goes a little bit with the previous point. Remember, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Precious friend, this morning, as you listen to me, I want you to know this one thing. The Spirit of God is there. And as you look around, all you might see is chaos, disorder, emptiness, nothingness. But I want you to know that God has promised He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. He will never turn His back on you. He will never abandon you. Our chaos, you see, is subject to His love. And whether our chaos was as a result of our own choices that we'd made, and I suggest you repent and turn back and, and determine to get on the right path again as soon as you can. Whether our choices are a result of 
the thing of our chaos or whether it's circumstance like COVID that has resulted in our situation where we're at right now. I want you to know that that chaos that you're in is subject to his love and God is love. And I want to encourage you with those words and those lessons from Genesis this morning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created and he created out of nothing. And our chaos is always subject to his love. Take courage from that in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, as we thank you for this opportunity to open up the very first verses in this amazing book of yours, we thank you once again that you bring these lessons to our hearts to encourage us, to challenge us, to build us up, to rebuke us, to remind us of where we're at and where we should be. Lord, I thank you that all of these things are overshadowed by your Spirit hovering, watching over us, uh, rising up within us, giving us hope, uh, reminding us of the life that we have in you, and we want to give you praise and thanks for this. Lord, I believe with all my heart, I believe as it is written for, uh, for me, and I thank you that, that I can put my faith with those ancients this morning and just believe that you are that one who created out of nothing. And what we see is this amazing plethora of diversity and and beauty and magnificent around us. And we want to pause and just say, Lord, thank you. Lord, you've done it all before. You are not limited by your power. And I thank you that everywhere right now we can be taking courage, knowing that irrespective of the chaos and the darkness that we might see around us, you are still there and you will do it again. In Jesus' name we give you praise and glory. Amen. God willing, we'll see you next week and we're going to have a look at the first man and the first woman and Adam and Eve and see how things have perhaps gone a little bit skew since then. See you then. Amen.